Our scripture today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 13. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Christians in the city of Philippi. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me, Faith? We thank you, O oh, gracious God, for the witness of the Apostle Paul and the witness of all of those that we have known throughout our lives that speak truth to us. Help us to hear the truth that you offer us this day especially in those places in our lives where we most need your rest. We ask this, we petition you for it, O great God of mercy, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Our world lost a giant in the faith when Dr. John Starkey joined the communion of saints earlier this week. I know that many of you probably here at Faith haven't had the opportunity to connect with him. He is a professor of religion at Oklahoma City University, or, or he was before he passed away. But he also would come every summer to the district youth camp over at Camp Egan for our particular district known as Council Oak. And he never drove a car. Um, and so someone from the camp would have to go and get him in Oklahoma City and bring him over to Tahlequah to Egan so he could spend the week with our youth. But I, I don't know of any other religion professor that I have known that ever did that, wanted to just invest a week of his summer in, in students, in their development. My daughter, Elizabeth, is a student at OCU. She was very blessed to have a couple of classes with Dr. Starkey over the last couple of years as she has been a student there before uh, his health kept him from teaching. He was teaching all the way up until last semester, and then his health declined very precipitously. So the day that he passed away, 
She sent this text to her dad and me. She said, Dr. Starkey has met the one he spent his life chasing. And I thought, wow. Wow. What, What is it? That, that some people seem to have this connection with God that other people around them are able to perceive. And yet, when you ask them about it, she, she was telling us, you know, because I, I said I'd, I'd really like to share a little bit of Dr. Starkey's story in my sermon today, and she said, yeah, you, you can share that, Mom, but what he would say is, this journey of faith, it's full of a lot of double takes and wind back on itself, and, you know, I mean, I, I can't tell you exactly how I made it there. And that's part of what's so frustrating when you encounter someone that you know has spent their life pursuing after God. And you ask him, so how did you do it? Like there's a cookie cutter, right? A Dr. Starkey cookie cutter. You know, and just put, put out uh, disciples of Christ just one right after the other so they could be just like Dr. Starkey. But you can't do that, right? That's not how the life of faith works. Dr. Starkey could share what he's learned on the journey, but he can't give that to anyone else. And he did. He shared so generously with his students, but he couldn't make them create in them a life like his. His was his own. So so that kind of made me think about our particular sermon series. We've been in the sermon series, this is our third week, asking, so what is it that keeps you up at night? And I want to just do a quick review with us so we can know where we are today. In the first week of our sermon series, we heard an invitation from our Lord Jesus from Matthew uh, chapter 11. Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you, maybe you've heard it, rest. Right? There's this beautiful invitation that Jesus intends for us to live a life of rest. He says, come to me. And I will give it to you. I will give you this life of rest. Knowing that I need to hear it as much as anyone, I said that God promises us more than we are currently receiving in this life. In fact, God invites us to a life of holy rest. And so the second week then, we, we tried to understand what are the obstacles, what gets in the way of that life of holy rest. And we heard Jesus' caution from Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, clearly, do not worry. But then he also offers another admonition. He says, but seek first after God's kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well, Matthew 6, 33. And we talked about how the most painful obstacle in our life, what keeps us from rest, is this idea of worry, anxiety, futility. We, we named several things that it could be. And one of the things I said is that you can't overcome worry by trying harder because that just creates more worry, right? Instead, we engage at the opposite discipline, the discipline of Sabbath. And that's what I encouraged us to do last week. I said, over the next seven days, spend at least one intentional hour or some part of a day honoring Sabbath, keeping this practice in your life. I hope that was beautiful for you. I ran across a quote this week from Margaret Feinberg that describes for me what what happens when I get to do that. And I was blessed to have three days of retreat this week. So it was really wonderful to, to do just what she said. She said, I discovered the Sabbath isn't about what is done or left undone as much as it is about breathing in the goodness of God. 
Oh, that was such a beautiful image for me. The more I inhaled, she said, the more I desired another long breath. That this idea of of Sabbath is about breathing in the goodness of God, allowing ourselves time and space to let God be in charge for a little while. So here we come. It's the third week of this sermon series. And now we're asking this question. The question is, so how does our faith help us find that rest? We started last week, we talked about Sabbath and how important it is that we would honor and keep the Sabbath. But there's more that our faith has to offer us. We're looking specifically for the resources of our faith in helping us find this life of holy rest that we're promised. We're going to spend some time this morning in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's often coined Paul's letter of joy. And it is well established that he wrote this letter chained in a Roman prison. I just want you to take a moment to appreciate the contrast there. It's his letter of joy that he wrote chained in prison. So, so this is how his perspective has been um, influenced by his circumstances. Instead of, for most of us, when we find ourselves chained in prison, it does not elicit joy, right? But it does for him. So, so we need to pay attention. What, what does he have there that we need to grab a hold of? In the first three chapters of Philippians, and I would encourage you, if you have a little time this afternoon, sometimes Sunday afternoon, you're like, oh, you know, I can sit down for a moment. Read through the book of Philippians. It's very short. You can read it in one sitting. It is a beautiful sort of pouring out or self-offering, if you will, of Paul, talking about this undying devotion to the cause of Christ. And how much that has meant to him in his life. Now he comes in chapter 4 to sort of summarizing an essence of the life of faith. When you pour yourself out as an offering to God, trusting your life to Jesus Christ, then you you receive this life of faith. And here's what he says, and you'll, you'll notice these things. They were in the text for today. He says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now, for those of you who know me, and many of you in this sanctuary have seen me in many different situations, you might describe me in many different ways, but gentleness would probably not be one of them. I I find this such a challenge in Paul's admonition here that a life of faith is a life where your gentleness would be known to everyone. Paul says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. Instead of worrying about it, pray and ask God for what you need, and then whatever God chooses to give you, be thankful. Now, that's probably easier said than done, right? But that's a pretty simple way of living a life of faith. He goes on to say, think about, and I like, when I read this passage, I like to emphasize these. So, so it reads like this. Think about these things. And then he goes on to name whatever is honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, and excellent. You might just do the sort of mental inventory. What thoughts have been in your mind over the last 24 hours? And how many of those have been honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, and excellent? 
You see how Paul is directing us, our attention, to what is important. He says, then, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Now, remember, he's writing this chained in prison under threat of his life. So it's not like he, he's lived a life of ease and said, oh, it's all good. That, no, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, whatever circumstances I am in, I have learned to be content. And then finally, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not I can do all things, period. He, he adds then, through him who strengthens me. So could it be, if our life with Christ looked like this, we would discover a life of holy rest. In fact, it would come automatically. Right? If our life of faith looked like the fourth chapter of Philippians, of course we would live a life of holy rest. Because we couldn't help but live a life of holy rest. So I mentioned Dr. Starkey at the beginning of this sermon because... He was a person who embodied the kind of life that Paul speaks about in Philippians chapter 4. If you were going to think of someone who would let their gentleness be made known to everyone, Dr. Starkey would be somebody who would come to your mind. He was a very gentle spirit. Now, he wasn't perfect, and my daughter Elizabeth, being with him in two classes, could tell you he wasn't perfect. He was a very demanding professor. She told me one of her hardest classes so far in college has been a class that she took with Dr. Starkey because he was so demanding of his students. So it's not that he was perfect. And I am certain that if I had the opportunity today to say, you know, Dr. Starkey, when you died earlier this week, were you, were you at the point, point where you wanted to be with God? He'd say, no. I still had a lot more to go, right? I mean, so it's, it's not that, that he is the exemplar, but he did have something. And, and that's what I'd like for us to be able to focus in on the rest of our sermon together today, friends, because if you, as a college professor, can have as many students as he had wanting to sit at his feet and learn religion, think about that. that that's remarkable. Actually, probably what they really wanted to learn was, how do you live that life of faith? I believe in Jesus. Now tell me, how do I live a life of faith? He was somebody who made others want to chase after God. And that is something that could be uh, imitated in our life. So we're going to look this morning at some of the gifts of faith that we receive. And we're going to go back to the text from Philippians. Um, the gifts of faith that Pastor Heather and I identified as we worked on this sermon together this week all begin with P. And so we just wanted to offer that to you as it'll be easy to remember, right? So three gifts of faith that we receive, uh, and we find these in the book of Philippians. We receive the gift of perspective, Again, I would encourage us to hear Paul's admonition when he says, think about these things. Which means there are other things that enter our brain that we're not going to give our attention to. He reminds us to be careful about what receives our attention. We should pay attention when the things that, that come across our mind are honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, and excellent. And if you hold up that list... And what comes across your brain are not those things, and you say, I'm moving on. 
Think on these things, he says. He also tells us that we should give thanks in all circumstances because it promotes a spirit of contentment for us. I think one of the best gifts that faith gives us is the opportunity to change our perspective. To to whatever circumstances we're in, our faith offers us the chance to see them differently. And that's a real gift. Another gift of faith that we see in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Paul discovered, especially when he was in prison, that his circumstances did not define his reality. Friends, if you can find joy while you're in prison, your circumstances do not define your reality. You have chosen to see your reality different. He could find joy while in prison, peace while his life was being threatened, and purpose to keep pressing on. In chapter 3, has this beautiful exhortation, how we're to press on towards the goal of Christ Jesus for us, to never give up. So the next best gift that our faith gives us after perspective is this purpose, that we have a reason to live, a reason to rejoice, a reason to believe. And that's a great gift. Finally, then we do find that our faith gives us the gift of perseverance. Paul ends this passage with a verse that many have memorized, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 Throughout the letter, he calls upon the believers to keep pressing on towards this goal. So after perspective and purpose, our faith can give us a beautiful gift. Some of us might call it grit. Others might call it courage. Whatever it is, it's the reason that you lift your head when you're face down in the dirt and say, you know what? There's a reason to go on. And I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep going on. And that's a real gift. So these are the gifts that I desire after. I would bet you do too. Especially when worry and anxiety are at their highest. And that's, that's a reality that I live with. It's, it's a struggle that I have. And so when those are moments where that is sort of crowding in on me, I want those gifts even more in that moment. I really want to be able to live a life of faith, to trust that God's got it. And that means I don't have to. To be content, whatever my circumstances. I go back to that again and again, Paul's admonition there. I I really do believe that if I'm going to find rest, a life of holy rest, it will be through my faith. There really isn't any other way that I can access that. I see the potential of each one of these gifts to turn me towards God and away from my own navel-gazing, which is always a helpful turn. So what allows me to receive these gifts? If you want to think of it in terms of these are gifts that our faith wants to give us, and we find it so hard sometimes to to access them, We, we approach life with clenched fists. What is it that helps us to open our hands? to be in that posture of receiving what it is that God has to give us. What what is that? Okay, Friends, I want to tell you it's this one thing. Surrender. There comes a time for all of us where we must let go of something that we are sure we cannot live without. Let me offer that to you again. There comes a time for all of us where we must let go of something we are sure we cannot live without. And my experience of walking the Christian life is it happens more than once. 
You can name it for yourself. In fact, you probably already have. Some of you are sitting there going, I know what that is. It's that thing that I can't live without. I'm just sure of it. That's the thing, right? I would name it as control, significance, outcomes, being right, power, influence. At different times in my life, those have all been things that I am sure I cannot live without. Notice my fist. I cannot live without that. And surrender asks me to open my hands and receive what it is that God would give. Here's another way to think of it. If it's something in your life that cuts in line ahead of God, you need to give it up. Whatever it is that, and you know how you feel when somebody cuts in line ahead of you, right? That's how God feels. There are things that, for all of us that, you know, they cut in line, they get in front of God in our life. If, if there's something in your life that's cutting in line ahead of God, then we need to give it up. The reason that faith can help us find rest is because it requires us to surrender. It is in the very nature of having faith in Jesus Christ that we do not have faith in ourselves. Right? You can't have one without the other or you can't be one without the other. So consider then the spiritual disciplines that are found repeatedly effective. Now again, they don't make us Christian. They are a way that we practice our faith to learn how to live it better. Okay? Things like honoring the Sabbath, giving the tithe, fasting, living a life of prayer. These are all disciplines that require us to surrender. Right? I was, came across this quote from Eugene Peterson this week. I was thinking about how Sabbath requires us to surrender. He says, if you don't take a Sabbath, something is wrong. You're doing too much. You're being too much in charge. You've got to quit one day a week and just watch what God is doing when you're not doing anything. Can you feel the, that requires you to let go and to receive whatever it is God would have to give you in that day? That's what a life of holy rest looks like, friends. And what I would say to us today is, I think the life that we are choosing right now, and, and many of you probably are saying, no, that's not my life, and I'm so pleased that your life of discipleship has led you to a place of holy rest where you can be content whatever your circumstances. I haven't made it there yet. I'm working on it. I pray for God's grace each day in that. What I know is that the choices I make each and every day lead me sometimes to live a life that sucks the very breath right out of me. And you might be feeling that way as well. And most of us, our first response is going to be able to say, well, you know what, I don't have a choice about that. Hmm. If you experience that in prayer, I would say, okay. But if that's your first response, I would say, take that to God in prayer and ask God about it. Because most of the time we have a lot more choice than we think we do. It doesn't have to be this way, right? Jesus offers us the invitation, come to me. All you who are weary, and I will give you rest. That is the invitation. And it is a life that we can have because we can choose. We can choose to trust. We can choose to release. We can choose to let God lead. 
And when we choose that, friends, then our lives turn toward the one who warrants our full pursuit. We spend our lives chasing after a lot of things that don't look anything like God. A life of holy rest orients us towards pursuing God. And that is its great gift to us because that is a chase that's worth making. Amen.